Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we introduce to some and we present to others Jesus the Christ. For he tonight is the star of the show. And if you come to know him more, these songs will be more than melodies and harmony. They will be the very center of your life. He will be your hope. He will be everything you need. But for those that are getting their introduction tonight, and for those that are getting the presentation again, he is available to you. And he will radically change your life. Tonight, tonight as we gather, we are gathered in the name of Jesus. We're gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. We're gathered in the name of the one that has been died and he resurrected and now he is seated at the right hand of God. We're gathered in his name and we want his fame and we want to present you to him. And God, we say tonight, we invite you here that this worship, God, we invite you into it. And you know where each of us are. And some of us are here, but our souls, we're hiding. And we want more of you, but we're hesitating. And we, we are offering ourselves, but we're pulling back. We're doubting, and yet we're coming forward. We're back and forth. And tonight, some of us need to settle down on Jesus. Yes. Tonight, you need to be our anchor. Yes. And so God, tonight, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would work again, change us again, move us again. And we ask this in the mighty name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen? Why don't we worship him one more time? You may be seated. Well, it's just always encouraging to be able to gather in the name of the Lord. You know, it's so crazy. Uh, when you start a church from scratch, uh, you always are insecure if anybody's gonna walk in the door. That's why when I sit up here, I don't look back, praise God. And uh, when, I, when we first started the church, that's what we used to do. And Labor Day used to be one of those weekends where it was just like, we, it, I don't even know why I used the microphone back in the day, because it was just like me talking to five people, praise God. So just so encouraged that you're here. Those of you that uh, didn't go someplace, or those of you that are here for your first time today, honored that you're here celebrating Jesus with us. Uh, we are starting a new series uh, this week. It'll go for four weeks. And really this series is a, is a series of introspection, a series for you to be able to figure some things out with you and the Lord and figure some things out even with our church. You know, if you wanna be a good communicator, I was a speech communications major. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm a, I'm a good communicator. It just means I, I read about it and talked about it a lot in college. But uh, they say in communication, you know, you really wanna make sure your introduction is strong, your closing is strong. And, and Jesus preached a very famous sermon and it was called the Sermon on the Mount. And it happened in Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. So it's two chapters of material where Jesus has there. And as he gets towards the close of his message, he actually gives an analogy, an analogy that would ring true for their people and ring true to how we live on earth today. If you have your Bible, you can look in the book of Matthew chapter seven, verse uh, 13 and 14. Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. 
Now understand this, before that Jesus even gets to start talking about this analogy, one of the things he says in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, if you know anything about it, he's talking about how we treat our neighbor and he's talking about anger and he talks about fasting and he talks about prayer. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really how we are to live under God's ways. And so he gives all these renditions of how we should live. And then as he's getting towards his close, the thing that he wants people to remember, he says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. See, for the gate is wide and narrow is the, uh, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Here Jesus is showing us this incredible picture of two gates. And where you have these two gates, there are two paths behind these gates. He talks about there being a way. One gate is very wide. And if you look in the way that um, literature works, uh, especially in, in Koine Greek, what he writes first is what he thinks is most important. So the first thing he says is, enter the narrow gate. And then he explains the two gates. The reason is, is because his command is, you are going to be more attracted to the wide gate. The wide gate will be appealing to you. So the first thing I need you to know as I close down this message and I've talked about fasting and praying and being a good neighbor and loving people, the life of knowing Jesus, he says is kind of narrow. It's, it's, it's not gonna be appealing to look at. But he says once you get through that gate and you come into a relationship with Christ, he says the way is hard. And he says the wide way is very appealing. And he says it's easy. But the caveat there is that it leads to destruction. Jesus here then is talking about two different lives, two different lifestyles, two different ways of thinking and being. But the challenge that we have when we, oftentimes we tell this scripture, the thing that we miss is even though there are two gates and even though there are two ways, it's the same city. They're in the same place. In other words, when you go enter through those gates and you're in those paths, you can see the wide gate. You can see the easier path as you're on the hard path. And the wider gate and the easier path is oftentimes distracting for those on that hard road. We're all breathing the same air. We're taking in the same governments and we're dealing with the same pressures. We have the same distractions and we have the same issues, the same fears. And he's saying that on this one way, it's actually easier and on this other way it's hard because the easy road is marked by doing what I want. And the hard way is marked by doing what Jesus wants. And the essence, the mark of following Jesus often is telling no to yourself. Yeah. 
and staying on that hard way. Jesus, at the end of his message, wanted to remind them that, y'all, there's a whole nother road and a whole nother path. This way that Jesus discusses here is the essence of what Jesus will talk about in Matthew 28 as being a disciple or, a, or discipleship. That's the hard way he's talking about. That's discipleship. And when you are on that way, you are a disciple walking along this path, listening to Jesus as he directs your way. The hard way. And a disciple, the, the Greek word is mathetos. It, what it means is you're a learner. And you're someone who is constantly putting themselves in a position to not only be on the way, but keep moving forward on the way. Continually listening to the direction of Jesus on this hard way and growing in your relationship with Christ. A learner and an apprentice is one who takes not just the information in, but is attempting to acquire, acquire a skill to be like the teacher. Understand the word disciple is not unique to Christianity. Aristotle had disciples. Plato had disciples. Everybody had disciples. The disciple is not a unique thing to Christianity. What makes discipleship in the Christian realm different are the commands and the teachings of Jesus and following his way and his teaching. But in our country and in church, one of the great dangers we have is that Sometimes we do not communicate that his way is hard. And sometimes we don't make it clear that following will be difficult. And the reason why it becomes easier or the reason why we don't communicate that effectively is because far too often we make a disciple more about learning information than we do about having transformation in your life. I mean, think about this, think about this, just, just understand this. The way, he says, is you following Jesus on this hard way. And Jesus is giving you more direction. He's telling you, don't, don't say that, don't, don't go there, no, no, walk this way, no, read your word, now pray, and he's giving you a whole nother direction. And the problem with discipleship is that we have gotten more comfortable. We celebrate people who have a notebook full of directions, but they've taken very few steps. And the way that we do discipleship at Bridge Church is that when we give direction on Sunday, we try to do it midweek. Mind-blowing. We actually believe that the heart of discipleship is to be like the teacher, not quote the teacher. The heart of discipleship is to obey. As you're on this hard road and you're following him, the heart of it is to continue down this pathway with Jesus.
That means then that if there is this way, listen, if there is this way that Jesus, if this is really a pathway he has us on it, and Jesus is actually giving us direction through his word and through his people, if that's the truth, then I could fundamentally ask you a simple question. What's your next step? With you and Jesus, what's your next step? Where's the next place God is saying go to in your faith? And some of you tonight, as you come in here and you hear about these gates and you hear about this path, some of you may still be at the gate. You may not be fully in a relationship with Jesus. You may have not made that full commitment tonight, but that's okay because Jesus with compassion still calls you to take another step towards this way. Where are you? What is your next step of obedience? <laughs> when I used to do college ministry, we would always end the night and do prayer requests. And there would always be about four or five people and I would like, you know, hey, how can I pray for you? I'm like, you know, my grandmother, she is sick and she's just going through. And then I asked somebody else, like, what's going on? It's like, man, I just want to thank God for the weather. I mean, the weather is amazing. And I asked somebody else, it's like, yo, I, my grades are bugging. I just need, really need, I need to do, get an A. And, and it would always, most of their answers were having God help them in their immediate needs. And we praise God that he's available. Amen, amen. He's, praise God he's available to meet our needs. But oftentimes when we got into all these requests, very few people would talk about them in Jesus. Like not the son in Jesus and not your test in Jesus, you in Jesus and where you are. And that I pray becomes a culture in our church where not just the pastor, but any of us could walk up to, to, to any of us, each one of us, and we could say, what do you believe God is saying your next step is? What's God teaching you right now? What's he been showing you at your job? What is your marriage teaching you about Jesus? What is God pulling out of you? What's the next step of obedience? You see, because oftentimes people say, I'm not being discipled. And it's so weird because Jesus is the only disciple maker in Christianity. You see, Aristotle is the disciple maker in his, in his world. He, he's, he's the teacher and he has disciples. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have given your life to Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are all disciples. And discipleship is about obedience, not new information. And so oftentimes when people are saying, I'm not being discipled, what they really want is a mentor. They want someone to kind of walk them through life or they want a friend. And I get that. And I pray that we do have as many opportunities for people who are a little further along than you that could walk you into the faith. And that's the way that I understood discipleship when I first came to the faith. But here's what I've understood. And it really was from pastoring this church when everybody's 26 and everybody's struggling to make rent and everybody's confused and everybody's bugging and everybody's single. No one's really that far along. 
And so if that's the case, then either we're not having no discipleship or the definition of discipleship's got to be something different. And what I have realized, it is not about having Yoda disciple you or a guru disciples you. I know you're waiting on that superwoman to tell you all about womanhood. I know you're waiting on that super masculine dude to tell you about what it means to be a man. And one day they might fly into this church. But until that time, you have the Holy Spirit and these broken people right here. And so when you get with your peer, if, dis- if Jesus is there, you're being discipled. Yeah. As long as the words of Jesus are there and there's another Christian there and you're there, you're getting discipled. Yeah. So that means that discipleship then is not just getting the information but then getting into a relationship with someone that can really help you grow. And you positioning your life in a way where you need someone to help you take that next step. I was at a retreat and uh, um, I met met, um, a very famous pastor uh, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, he was at, he was at like a local restaurant. And I saw him and I was like, this is my moment. (laughs) So I sat next to him because I need somebody to help me take the next step. So I was like, hey, Mr. Amazing. um, I, you know, I'm I'm pastoring a church, you know, and I just, man, I wonder if I could just, I don't know, get with you once a year, just once a month, just once a, a decade. Just let me just get some time with you. Can I get some time with you? And he was like, yeah, call my secretary. And I knew what that meant. So, um, so but I call, still called. I called I call this secretary. It's crazy. He wasn't available. Praise the Lord. And, and, I, and I realized, I was like, if I'm going to grow as a pastor, I probably need to find other pastors where I am than dreaming about the pastor that's far ahead of me. Because unfortunately, he's unavailable. And I don't know, maybe I'll just have to learn. Now, I want to put a pause on this. In 10 years, things will be different at our church. They will. No, I mean, I mean that. And this is, some, some of you are about to pass out, so don't pass out. Some of you will be married in 10 years. I know, receive that. Receive. Yeah, just take that, all right? Just take that. That's for you. That's, that's for you. Receive. Receive all that. All right, I don't want to shine any of your idols up in here, praise God. But no, seriously, the season we're in will not always be the season we're in, but you are in a season, okay? So in light of that, just know, in this season at Bridge Church, this is very much a Bridge Church sermon. In this season at Bridge Church, this season, stop waiting on a miracle mentor and start participating in peer-like discipleship, all right? Start moving towards people who you may know more Bible than them, maybe you know less, I don't know. Start moving towards people who love God and are willing to walk with you towards your next step. Now, Jesus um, introduces 
or at least he cements the idea of discipleship in Matthew 28. If you turn there, if you have it in your Bibles, Matthew 28, I just want to pull out a couple points um, that Jesus talks about. Now, Jesus has just rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, <coughs> the disciples are told about him. And in Matthew 28, 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 16, it says, uh, I'm sorry, 28, 16. Um, I believe that's 17. Is 16 there? 20, Matthew 28, 16 is out there. All right, I'll read it for you. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. It says to the mountain Jesus had told them or directed them to go to, Matthew 28 and 16. And there, where they're on that mountain is in Galilee. Now in, in Matthew 26 and 32, and as well in that same chapter, Jesus actually says, when I die, I'm gonna rise from the dead and I'll be in Galilee. Then a couple chapters later, Jesus rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and John, are at the tomb and there's an angel there. And when that angel comes out of the tomb, you know what he says to Mary and Mary? He says, Jesus is in Galilee. So Jesus has said, I'm going to be in Galilee. Then an angel says, Jesus is in Galilee. So Mary and Mary go and tell the disciples, Jesus is in Galilee. So they go to Galilee. And when they go to Galilee, it says in Matthew 28 and 17. So they're going up this mountain and it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. This is amazing. Jesus Christ says, yo, I'm gonna be in Galilee when I rise from the dead. Then an angel tells Mary and Mary, he's in Galilee right now. Then they go up to the mountain and they see him in Galilee and some of them are like, this is Jesus. And some are like, is this Jesus? I don't know. I can't be for sure. Now it's very interesting, um, the words that are used here, because in Matthew 28 and 17, it says, and they saw him worship. They saw him and they worshiped, but some doubted. The word worship there, and I, I believe we had an awesome worship experience right before this, because worship is not just that we would say right words about God. Worship, as much of it is when we ascribe to God his worth. When we say back to God how we value him. And the word worship, the Greek word, is actually a word that speaks to bowing low. Oftentimes it's used of lifting of hands. Oftentimes it's used of saying something that tells the, the creator or whatever it is that is being used in the context, the value and worth. But when worship happens, the people are responding and they're moving often and it is most often used of getting on your knees. But it's interesting, the second word. It says, but some doubted. And that word in the Greek, doubt, it doesn't mean that they went up there 
and they didn't worship. The word in the Greek means hesitate. So this is what happens. They go up the mountain. They're like, we know Jesus is going to be here. And they get there. And some people are worshiping, but some people are just hesitant. And maybe they have some unresolved questions about Jesus that they have not been able to fulfill. And maybe there's some concerns that they really aren't able to actualize. And maybe they can't believe that someone has risen from the dead. But on this mountain, even though they've gotten words from Jesus Christ himself and an angel has told them Jesus would be there when they see Jesus and it is the moment to respond to what Jesus says, they hesitate and yet some worship. You know why this is so encouraging for me? Because I hesitate and I doubt and I read the words of Jesus and I doubt that he'll supply my needs, or like he says in Philippians, I doubt, I, sometimes I doubt purity. Sometimes I doubt having a mind taking, taking every thought, I doubt his truth. And that's because I'm reading his words. These folks were getting real information, real time from Jesus Christ. They got an angel and they still doubted. And the encouraging thing about this is that that's what's happening here this afternoon. Some of you are worshiping, but some of you are doubting. Some of you are hesitant. Some of you, when you hear run in such a way as to win the prize, you got your neck out, you got your kick in, and you're just running and you're just giving, I give you everything, God, and some of you are jogging. And some of you are hurt by the fact that Christ maybe didn't fulfill something last year. And you know what's good? That's why discipleship is so important to be done in community. Because when I fail you, Jesus is still good. When I don't have enough wisdom, Jesus is still available. You see, some of us, we are hesitating and some of us are worshiping, but we are here together, growing together. That is the importance of doing things where the only person we are relying on fully is Christ. Never place your full submission to a human. Always give your full allegiance to the eternal one. Some of us, no matter what leadership position that we have, some of us are doubting. Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 28 and 18, after he notices this, he still says, all authority, all, uh, and Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ tells them, I'm about to tell you a very powerful statement, but you need to know I have the authority to tell you it. Now, there's a very powerful word here when the word authority is there. The word authority is the word exousia. And there's another word for authority, which is dunamis. Dunamis has to do with power. Exousia has to do with rightful authority. I have the right, I am the right person to tell people 
what to do with their lives. Um, you know, let's say I, uh, I got back into the gym, like real, real talk, not, not, not where I'm at right now with God, but I'm just saying if I was really in the gym and I was dying in, you know, let's say I got really bulked up and, you know, I go outside and I get in front of a car and I tell them to stop. They may probably stop because I, maybe I look real powerful, you know, and I tell them to stop. But the way that our government works and even scripturally, it tells us that the way that it works is that there are these people called the police and they're given the rightful authority to get in front of cars and tell them to stop, move this way. And so just because I might be strong and I might be powerful and I can move things, that doesn't mean I was given the rightful place to do that. This is why this is important. Just because something works doesn't mean it's right. And when Jesus Christ is speaking here, this is what he says. My words are authoritative and correct. Just because you have a book, advice, or people that are, and they tell you things and it works, doesn't mean it's right. Jesus is saying that I have the rightful authority to tell people how to live. You see, this changes everything because now we need to look at Jesus' words before we make decisions. And we need to consider how he thinks before we do anything because he has the authority to construct our lives and to give us the pathway we should live on. And so Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then he goes on to say, in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there are several things to understand that he says here. And the first thing he says is go. So this is something that has to be done intentionally. And some scholars will say that when it says as you are going, it means that you are essentially, in Greek it's saying as you are going. So you do this as you are with people along the way and others would say, well, you still have to be very intentional. But the heartbeat of this is, is that you must move. You must make your life and construct your life in a way to get to the second part he says, to make disciples. There's so much you can unpack here, but the next part here, he says is, go and make disciples, craft disciples, shape people's lives. That means that disciples will not just happen, they must be made, they must be shaped. So just like in the mob, where you have a made man, a person who goes through this training that they go through, in the same way, you make a disciple, you construct their lives, and you shape them. And discipleship is about a shaping and a pulling on away and adding things. And he says, the faith is about intentionally getting into the lives of people and shaping them, shaping them after the image of Jesus. 
And he says, it starts with, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we talk about baptism all the time, but it is so important that you know, baptism does not save you, but what it does is identifies you with Christ. And so when we baptize someone, and it's like we're putting them in a watery grave, and they come up out the grave, and they're saying, I am now new in Christ. And the reason why it says baptize them in the name is because you are now identifying yourself with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. In the same way that when my wife took my last name, she was saying, everywhere I go and everything I sign, I want you to be, I want to be identified with you. So I take your name, I take your identity. And baptism, the picture of baptism is you coming out the grave and you saying, I am now identified with Jesus. I'm making a public declaration. That's why it is so important that if you got baptized at seven and eight and you did not live the life of Jesus through nine, through 14, 20, whatever age you were, then you got baptized symbolically but spiritually you weren't living it out. And I encourage everybody, rethink your baptism and be baptized in such a way where you are publicly identifying yourself with Christ. Imagine if my wife and I, we did a big old wedding, had thousands of people there, but then right after the wedding, about two weeks later, we stopped living together. And then for years and years, we didn't associate with one another. And the purpose of baptism is to not only identify, but to make a public declaration of that. So he says, if we're going to make a disciple, they got to start declaring to the world that they know me. And the beginning of that is baptism. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 28 and 20, he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That word observe, it's the idea of looking with detail at these commands. And many translations will also say, teach them to obey. This is called the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is not baptize them and then teach. The Great Commission is teach to obey. Teach them to obey. Teach them to say no. Teach them to say yes to me. Teach them. And if teaching to obey, since obedience is the goal, then the best discipleship, the best discipleship that we can have of people is modeling obedience. The best disciple maker is a person who's obedient and who invites other people into a life of obedience. Teach them to obey. Teach them to grow in my word and be obedient to what I've said. I have all authority over their business. I have all authority over their relationships. I have all authority over the way they speak. Teach them to be obedient to my way. That's discipleship. It's obedience. It's saying, yes, Jesus, you have authority. And no. No, James, don't say that. 
most of my repentance is saying no to myself. <laughs> and so here, it is so important. Um, we will always, as a church, have a knock on us. And I'm cool with it. And the knock we will have on us is we do not teach enough information. We'll always have that as a knock on us. We don't, we don't, have, a, we don't have classes on Daniel where you can learn about statues and, and know about the toe and all that stuff. And we don't, we, don't have a, we don't have a book of Revelation class. That is so true. We don't. We are very simple. We have city groups. And in city groups, we are trying to get after one thing. We are going over the message, and after that message, during that week, we are asking simple questions like, what's your next step of obedience? Based upon what that word was. We, we are gonna talk about every, I can't guarantee this, every Sunday we're gonna have the Bible open. I guarantee you that. And we're gonna say something about Jesus or Paul or somebody, we're gonna do that every Sunday. And then during, after that week, so you can get all your notes then, praise God. And then during that week, we're going to come together as a community and we're going to try to obey. Sundays are to teach. The middle of the week is learn how to obey. Sundays, we're going to give you some Greek words and throw and you can impress your friends and your mama. And then in the middle of the week, you're going to try to do it. We're gonna, we're gonna try, we will put up charts and graphs and blow your mind, and then in the middle of the week, you're gonna cry and repent. We're on Sunday, on Sunday, we're gonna, we're gonna talk, and, and I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try and be, you know, a little humor, try to impress you, to, I got all these notes and stuff like this. We're gonna throw all this information, and then in the middle of the week, you can cry about how much you're not doing. What I'm trying to tell you is that teaching is not hard. It's not tough. It's really not. And I mean this in all sincerity. We are in what they call the information age. It's not hard to get information. I, I tell you right now, I can give you some people. You can YouTube someone much more dynamic than me and be blown away and cry and all that stuff. I'm telling you, I got some links. <laughs> what I am trying to tell you is finding good teaching is not the problem. It's finding a community that will walk with you to have you become more obedient. That's what this church is about. We are not built, we are not built on preaching. We are built on obedience. We are built on the, he, he, I am introducing you to Jesus. I am presenting to you Jesus. These words are about Jesus. Our obedience is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about a great worship leader or a great teacher. It is about our great savior and it is about worshiping him every single week and it is asking myself, hello self, what's my next step? And so if you go to a city group and they're not super impressive and you, you don't, yeah, I'm not really feeling this group, you know what I'm saying? It's not, these people, they're not funny, they're not cool. If you come to the group and your only goal is to be impressed, but you're not actually expressing where you're at, then let's be honest. 
Our, we have a heart often for the entertainment of Jesus. I tell you, boy, when I first started preaching, you know what I used to think? What did you used to think? This is what I used to think. I used to think the percentage of people saying amen and grunting matched the percentage of people being obedient. See what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is, I thought agreement meant obedience. I thought we all agree X, Y, and Z. You know, this is what the Bible says, and people say yes. But you will be surprised how much the long distance between the head and the heart truly is. You will be surprised how long the distance is between agreement and submission. It is a long, long path. And our job is to get people not to agree, but to obey. So lastly, he says in Matthew 28 and 20, the last part, behold, I am with you always. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus Christ, you know on your GPS, it asks you where your location is, and then it asks you where your destination is, and then the Uber or the car you're in will take you there. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus knows exactly where you are. You don't have to hide. He knows exactly where you are. The challenge is for us to admit to ourselves where we are. And he knows exactly what that next step is. And the beauty of the Trinity that you are baptized into, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is that because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is the embodiment of I am with you. And I'm always with you. And I am with you when you do not want to admit where you really are. And I will be there with you when you go into that next season of life. But the beauty is, is that I will be the one to take you there. I'll carry you. And much oh, obedience, is, obedience is not about muscling up your intentions, getting really strong. Obedience is about surrender. And it is surrendering your relationship and surrendering your finances, surrendering your words, and surrendering your life simply to agree that he has authority and to lack submission is still rebellion. 
Jesus is drawing you now, even now, even right now. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What's your next step? Don't think about anybody else's step. You know, Bob should have been at this message because Bob doesn't think, Bob just never, Bob needs another step. I'm not talking about Bob. I'm talking about you. What's your next step? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? We are going to have a time of prayer in the back. But do not be afraid or intimidated. Rather, enjoy. Enjoy your God who, by grace, receives where you are. Isn't that good? God receives where you are right now. And he is not shocked. He is not surprised. He receives where you are. And he will lovingly carry you to the next stage of obedience. Heavenly Father, right now we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask right now, our friend, carry us to the next stage. Carry us on this path, God. Carry me, God. Carry me beyond my addictions. Carry me beyond my fears. Carry me beyond my pressures. Carry me, Jesus. Carry me, God. I cannot take this next step alone. Carry me. Tell me where I am, God. Tell me where I am with me and you. Can you make clear to me what is it you're longing for out of me? What is it you're drawing me into? Tell me. Tell me. Help me to say no, God, to those things that so easily I say yes to. Help me say no. Be my power source and be my strength. Take me to the next step, Jesus. I don't need to just be told. Remove the distractions. Remove the distractions. Remove the distractions, God. I can't remove them on my own. Gideon's father had idols, and in the middle of the night, he tore the idols down. God, would you be my Gideon? Would you tear down the idols not even, when, when I'm not even watching? Remove the distractions from my next step. And I make myself available to you, Jesus. Be with us as we worship God. In Jesus' name.
desperate for you. Tonight, we're going to have a time where we commune with our God. We're going to have a time where we just pray together. This is a time of extended worship. And so what will happen is the communion will come. And our communion time is this incredible picture of embracing a sacrifice that was intended for you. For thousands of years ago, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took a cup filled with wine, wine looking uniquely like blood. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he asked them to eat that bread. And he asked them to drink that cup because he did not want them to only look at this symbolic picture of sacrifice. He wanted them to experience it, taste it, take it in, let it be yours. And let this sacrifice on your behalf be one with you. And so tonight we ask that as the communion comes, you can come down. That in your own time, come. Come and do business with Jesus. Come and talk to him about where you or him are at. And I just want to remind some of you, taking your next step is not only about looking forward, but it's also about looking back. Don't get so caught up on taking the next step that you don't celebrate the past steps. For where God has brought you from is worth celebrating. And so even tonight, take, eat, drink, rejoice in your God. Rejoice in knowing that he's the one that will get you to the next place. Others of you, you are standing at the gate and you want a relationship with Christ. 
or you want to start a relationship with Christ again, we ask that you would go to the back and you'd be prayed for and you just simply tell them, I want to start a journey with Christ and they will pray for you. I encourage others of you to go to the back and pray and to ask God, God, tell me where I'm at. God, help me admit where I'm at. God, take me to that next step. Go and have someone else walk with you through your next step. Would you stand with me? Oh, Father, as we sing how we're surrendering, as we sing how we're surrendering, as we sing, as we sing about surrender, let it come from a deep place of practice, a place of obedience. God, let this room be filled with the sweet fragrance of surrender, the sweet fragrance of obedience, the sweet fragrance of honor and love. Let this place be filled tonight. I pray for the person that is staring at the gate. The road is hard, but it leads to joy. I pray for the one that is staring at that wide gate. It looks easy, but it leads to destruction. Now God be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.